0: Welcome to this edition of Fresh New Shorts, a collection of short stories written and read by the author. This series is following the collection of stories found in the book, A Physicist Guide to Love, Another Natural Phenomena, by John Blackmore. In today's story, butterflies think the marriage between a college physicist and his free-spirited wife is in recovery mode. A trip to her family for Thanksgiving explodes with the unlikely trigger of a mistranslated Welsh word.
1: Butterflies think. My wife thinks the way butterflies fly. Our house has Persian carpets hanging on the walls, but the broadloom is worn and ragged. We have three varieties of mustard, jars of tapenade and flatbreads from Ceylon, Chiapas and the Andes, but no peanut butter or sliced white bread. There are candles and sconces on tables and on toilet tanks, but three of our light bulbs are at all times burned out. Watercolors, oils, and acrylics of flowers hang on every wall, but our paint is peeling as we waver on decisions over color chips. She drives a lada Neva to honor Russian ballerinas, a vehicle that saves us gas because it hardly ever works. I think the way pool balls collide. Initial forces, the measured angle, momentum. People claim opposites attract as if it's the only physical law to govern love. They ignore the full range of fundamental interactions. Attraction, repulsion, annihilation, and decay. We may wrap love in poetry and chocolate, but its true story is chalkboard calculus. We evolved from basic particles, and are ruled by their laws. So too with men and women, with husbands and wives. We are piloting Claire's Neva across the province in Friday night rain, our plans to leave early for her fathers destroyed in a sudden argument. We are both doing our best to be still despite the portents all around us. One wiper blew off outside Kingston. Detonating in the spectacular way paratroopers fling themselves from aircraft. While transport trucks roared some six inches from me, I swabbed a sock over the wiper's metal arm. I'm looking out into the remains of a hurricane through a smear of headlights. Light me a cigarette, Claire says, breaking the quiet. They're in the glove box. She started smoking again last year when we separated for a month. Her quitting will be the symbol we've utterly returned to solid ground. It's because I'm going home, she says. It's not you. She touches my cheek, but brings her hand back to the gear shift. The neva has been known to slip into any gear at any time. She opens the window, and the change in pressure causes the windshield to start leaking. I hold the gear shift for her so she can smoke. One of her headlights sputters and dies. We are a one-eyed Russian tank hydroplaning across Ontario. You make the small talk with her, Claire says to me. I don't do small talk well. You do. You can only talk big ideas, I say. What's that supposed to mean? Things are yet too raw for us to poke fun. I don't know why she has to be there, Claire says. She's his new wife. Claire gives me a withering look. She throws the cigarette out the window. She squeezes my hand on the gearshift. That two women agreed to marry him speaks volumes about the sense of females. I am about to agree, but thankfully find the way to stop my mouth. Her father is waiting at the kitchen table as we tiptoe in like children out past curfew. He startles me. He is sitting in near darkness with a wan nightlight illuminating him. He's wearing a cocoa sweater and tatty orange scarf. He's been working at the table. Sheets of paper with numbers and glyphs are in front of him. His eyebrows are like caterpillars. They bend to meet us. One headlamp is a dangerous way to travel, he says. But then, I don't drive, so my opinion should be of little consequence. He wears this lack of driving like the Sloan Research Fellowship he received decades ago. Claire leans over to kiss him on the cheek. Perhaps you'd be so kind as to boil a kettle. I was working out some kinks in a paper I'm co-authoring. A linguist in Wales, with their Ys and Ws, they must all be linguists. He wants help with regressions and binomials. I've been waiting hours for tea. Claire fills the kettle. And I believe Kay put some squares in the fridge. Dig round. He stretches and drawls out the word squars until it sounds alien. He looks over Claire's two rainbow canvas carpet bags and mine, an overnight black leather valise. He notes the separate packing. Kay's in bed. She waited up for as long as she could, but she's a morning person, he says. Claire is bathed in refrigerator light, and she exaggerates checking her watch. It's 10.15. She looks to me as if to say, "'God, it's still so early,' but she swallows it. "'Your brother's coming for supper tomorrow. "'He's back with his spouse, too. "'We're not separated anymore,' I say. "'That was last year, and it was one month. "'One month.' He looks up at me and nods gravely, "'as if he was letting me be right through pity. "'Billy told me they were back together,' Claire says. It's better for the boys. You think so, he says. Don't you? Yes, but I'm not accustomed to sharing any opinions with my only daughter. We are sent to bed with tea and snickerdoodles baked from scratch. Sunflowers explode from the wallpaper in Claire's old bedroom. She runs her hand over the wall. Mom put this up with me, she says. She always had patience for that type of thing. Dad said, paint the room yellow if you insist upon something bright, but I wanted flowers. Tall and beautiful in her white nightgown, her long red hair falling down her back. I even wanted to change my name to Daisy. I didn't know that, I say. The pleasant surprise of discovering there are still things to learn. She turns to come to bed. I hate fighting, she says into the darkness. My first reaction is to say I'm surprised, but I hold the thought. They never fought, she says, waving her hand about the air. I should say mom never fought, but I always wanted her to. I remember sitting at the table, my hands clenched, thinking up replies as fast as I could and then willing them into her head. I would lie here in this bedroom, replaying his supper monologues over and over, subbing in for her when he started. He would be a formidable opponent, I say. She laughs. Yes, you're right. She looks over at me. How about that? I said it. You're right. And my throat didn't close over like I thought it would. She smiles and rolls away to sleep. The smell of bacon edges into our room. Claire is already awake, sitting on the bench seat, built into her Cape Cod window, looking into the backyard. Kay took out all the flower beds, Claire says. She hugs her knees into herself, her white nightgown tented over her legs. She's ripped out Mom's garden to plant what? Carrots? Potatoes? Radishes? I come over to her and put my hands on her shoulders, leaning into them and squeezing. She drops one shoulder. That hurts, Tom, she says. I stand there, embarrassed, ready to accuse, but it's still early. I can bite it back. I'll take a shower, I say. It's a mauve tile shower stall with a crackled yellow soap and ten-year-old head and shoulders. I remember when Claire and I made love here, showering for so long, the toilet rolls swelled tight and the windows cried and cried. Have some bacon Kay offers. She's wearing an apron that looks like fall leaves sewn together. I drove Walter into the office this morning. He was expecting a fax from a professor in Cardiff. Ask him about it. I'm sure you would understand what it's all about. I nod. Despite the proximity of our vocations, Walter and I have no common ground. His discipline, mathematics, is the queen of sciences. And that is the end of the comparison. I'm not sure who he shares ground with. How are things for you at the university, she asks. They're good, Kay, I smile. I'm about to open my mouth, goaded into bragging to this pleasant woman, but stop. I have some wonderful third-year students. Really keen, really excited about the basics. They're going to be good. She smiles. She had been an elementary school teacher. We can share this wonder at the learner. Is Claire having breakfast with you? I don't know the answer and the look on my face tells her that. I'm about to tell her that we're no longer separated. It was last year. We saw a counselor and we reflectively listen all the time now. No matter, Kay says. Bacon, toast and coffee for you. And really, tell me about your lab too. I was never one for science, though I love to see the children's reaction when a shoot popped up in their styrofoam cups from a simple white bean. Claire's brother Billy has three boys, nine, seven, and five. They live on the west side of Ontario, where it curls south to America. So we barely see them. Claire sends eccentric gifts to the boys at odd times of the year, unable to connect with their birthdays, except on rare eclipse-like moments. A first edition of The Secret of the Old Mill. A real-life tomahawk. A piece of the Berlin Wall. Billy is sitting in Walter's lazy boy chair in full recline mode. He looks like an extra-large Mercury astronaut waiting for launch. Billy is a much bigger model of his father. Tweed hair, small glints of blue eyes, sandy eyebrows he must trim. While Walter wears clothes that make it seem he's deflating, Billy's big man, tall man sweater is fully stuffed. He's reading a back issue of The Economist, a picture of Putin on the cover. Billy is cursed with an affable likableness and a natural sports ability that made him a poor candidate for integral calculus, but a natural for fraternities and business. He sells software for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Walter says he sells cardboard boxes of air. Billy's wife, Patricia, is outside with Claire. Claire is furtively smoking, as if her father can smell tobacco from his office in the university. Patricia is no doubt confiding in Claire about Billy, and Claire will have a sour look, trying to tell Patricia she doesn't want to hear her older brother's shortcomings. Like Billy, Patricia is a big presence. She has a loud voice and laugh that cuts through time and space, but is somehow not irritating. She is built on a startling and voluptuous scale. Next to them, Claire and I are waifs from a Dickens illustration. I'm in the rec room with the boys. I don't remember which one is which. There's a Dylan, a Kyan or Ryan, and a Connor. They're buzzing around like winter-doped houseflies, bored and seeking. Their Nintendo's confiscated for the family weekend. Tom, the middle boy says, what's a slut? Ooh, slut's not a great word to use, I say. Where did you hear it? Dad called Mom a slut, middle boy says. They were fighting. Slut, slut, slut! He was just yelling and yelling, the oldest one says matter-of-factly from the window. He's looking out at the empty gardens. He's an old man in a kid's body. He knows what the word means. She called him a bass turd, the youngest one says. That's pretty bad. Pike turd, middle one says. Tuna turd, youngest retorts. Hey, 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 enough of the Nemo poop. They laugh. They turn towards me, the science guy. I've bought some time with avuncular humor. Slut, I say, as if considering it. Slut. Hmm. It's an old Welsh word, actually. It means warrior princess. Wow, the youngest one says. The oldest one wants to smile, but his face is still too raw, as if it had been burnt and the grafts were still taking. The whole lot of us... So raw. The turkey is well cooked. Yams, varieties of squash I can't name, two types of cranberry sauce, Brussels sprouts, stuffing with walnuts and wild rice. Claire is rigid next to me at this supper table. I try to massage her leg, establish contact. She is smiling, but I can tell that her head is elsewhere. Yet she is trying I love her for simply trying. It's all I ever ask, really. Her father's pouring wine. Riesling, he tells us, and I encourage his dissertation. Tell me again. I didn't get that. The difference between Sylvaner and Riesling. I mispronounce the grape to give him even greater pleasure. His cold blue eyes burn with fervor at his lordly intelligence. Claire pinches me as I do this. I turn to her and feel the dousing of one liners she's spraying at me by telepathy. I smile to tell her it's okay, that it's okay to do this when you choose to do it. You don't lose when you've chosen to lose. Cayenne or Ryan is making a shape out of his mashed potato, but Billy is ignoring it. Things are okay. No need to upset the cart. New conversations, fostered by my overly keen interest in Alsatian wine, start sparsely and quietly, but by the time coffee's ready, it's a pleasant noise. Kay watches from the kitchen doorway. Her eyes are lit. I so like it when they get on, she says to me. I look into the room with her vision. I see us as a class of grade twos, cutting out shapes and sharing our scissors. I'm going over to my daughter's house tomorrow for Thanksgiving with them. She understood this was important. It's a lot of weight to put on turkey, I say. It's not the holiday. It's just an excuse. You should all be getting together much more often than this. She checks the coffee maker, burbling last gasps. I guess they used to, with Walter's first wife. Did you know her well? she asks. Claire's mother had died two Novembers ago. In the first year of our marriage things had become brittle after that she must have been some glue Kay says because this lot sure is unstuck Kay and i now bonded walk out into a fault line patricia took up hockey in september she's really enjoying it billy says he touches his wife's hand she lets him it's been great patricia says I've always wanted to play. My brother's all played, and I hated figure skating. It's an informal league. Go on, Mom, the youngest one says. He is beaming. He is gorging himself on the pure pleasure of seeing his parents' happiness with each other. Mom's real good. I've seen her check Daryl's mother into the boards. Sure, sure, she's a total slut. It's a slow-motion disaster, the way all terrible ones are. Patricia instinctively raises her hand and swats the boy's face. I am helpless, holding a tray of pumpkin pie. I can see that Patricia regrets this action, but the word is a catalyst. She cannot resist its awful power. Billy pushes out from the table and grabs her arm. He's yelling, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. I am balancing pie. Claire is shouting too. She is springing to restrain Billy as if she knows he may do something worse. Walter is lowering his face into his hands. The other two boys are wailing. The youngest is stunned. His face is starting to glow a red handprint like a wine-stained birthmark. Billy is grabbing her arm, has pushed another Patricia button, and she jerks away, which pushes Billy into second gear as he grabs for her other arm. Patricia is shouting at him to let go. Claire is behind him. I drop the pie tray. Billy looks ready to swing at one of them, or both, Walter is staring straight ahead. The oldest boy dives under the table, and the middle is punching at his mother. Billy lets go of one arm to push the middle boy aside. He pushes too hard, and the boy spins off. Patricia, with a hand free, slaps Billy. Billy raises his hand, and I grab it in time. He turns on me, his eyes wild. They're red. They're frightening. They're afraid. My face is inches from him, and I say, For God's sake. Like a twister, people bolt from the house. Engines rev, tires squeal, children cry. Kay is still in the doorway from the kitchen, holding coffee. Walter has the beginnings of a smile on his face as he surveys the damage. Now it is just the three of us and one boy under the table. Glasses have spilt, plates fallen, and of course my tray of pie. It draws his attention. That, he says, looking at the sectors of pie on the floor, is such a shame. He shakes his head. Kay, you might as well come in with the coffee. Perhaps our scientist will be able to save a piece of that excellent pie. Connor, come out from under there. Kay is still standing in the entrance from the kitchen. You should do something, she says to him in a whisper. What, he says sharply. What should I do? The boy's head emerges from under the table. Connor, Walter says. That was the smartest place to be. Come up now and have some pie. I'm going to go find Claire, I say. And where are you going to go? Walter asks. I have to look. He shrugs, dismissing me on whatever fool's errand I want. If I took his advice, pie would be the most sensible business of the moment. Claire is leaning on the lotta steering wheel, still parked in the driveway. She rolls the window down. Goddamn thing wouldn't start. Where's everyone? Patricia drove off. Billy, Ryan, and Dylan were coming with me, but they walked when the Lada wouldn't go. I'd guess they're headed for the Dairy Queen on Highland. She reaches for a pack of cigarettes and lights one. She rubs her eyes with the heel of her hand. Jesus, that place. She points to her front door with its festive harvest wreath. It's a greenhouse for anger. I nod. Ours must be too, as we've had chain reactions erupt from stasis. Mom would have known what to do with us, she would have orchestrated that into the most wonderful theater we would have all been laughing. She must have had some skill to shape that miracle. He was always prodding and calculating, usually on Billy, until something threatened to blow up all around us and Mom would take that rage and make it laughter. So many times, Billy would have killed him, I swear, and yet Mom would transform us. I looked back at the Cape Cod house. I wondered how it still stood. I wish I had her gift, Claire said. It's cold, and I watch your breath in irregular bursts from her lips. She turns to me. When he kept correcting you and going on about how in Alsace, Riesling rhymes with Friesling, you should have said in Brockville, Alsace rhymes with kiss my ass. I wake in the middle of the night because I sense she is gone, and I'm alone in the daisy room. In the hallway, I hear a rocking sound from Billy's old room. Patricia had returned, and the two titans are working the raw forces of creation and destruction. I wander downstairs in blue velvet light. At the patio door to the backyard, I see Claire in the garden, ghostly in the autumn moon. She's wearing her white nightie with a sweater and rubber boots. She's turning the earth, making small holes, and then dropping balls into them. She's digging up the vegetable patch and planting bulbs. A voice comes from the kitchen. Walter appears in the kitchen doorway, framed by an aura from the nightlight. Tulips. Her mother loved tulips. She took the bulbs out each year and stored them in paper bags, he says. The light behind Walter exaggerates his shadow towards me. What will you tell Kay when flowers sprout in her garden, I ask? He lifts his wine glass and finishes it. He shrugs. He will tell her the truth. A lie would be meaningless. Claire planted bulbs. You can dig them out. It's dirt. It's plants. What does it matter? There are a number of bottles of this in the cellar. It's the Riesling. I thought you might come back down could go get us one, he says. I could tell you about the paper I'm writing. He pauses and points at me with his wine glass. You could tell me about what you're working on, you know, in physics. He draws out the word into two divorced syllables, into separated worlds. physics. Pool balls ricochet and protractors measure options in my head. Walter shakes his empty glass in my direction. He limps a little towards the dining table as if waiting for me has strained his back. He grimaces, but then smiles at me. Like Lucifer, he is darkly mesmerizing. But then a thought arrives as if blown in by a summer breeze. I can almost smell the lilac on it and it startles me. I look down at my plaid boxers and t-shirt But for some reason, I feel warm. Outside, I can see Claire's breath. I pull the patio door open. The autumn air warns me, but I choose to ignore it, picking my way towards her in a twisting route, stepping deliberately on the randomly placed stones of her mother's garden path.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, rate us five stars wherever your podcasts are available and subscribe for more. You can find the ebook, A Physicist Guide to Love on Amazon. Come back and give us a listen again.